your Bibles, you might like to open up uh, probably the book of Acts. Probably Acts chapter 2, we're going to start there at some point and then make our way through to Acts chapter 6. So if you do have a Bible, you may want to make your way there now. Acts, Acts, Acts chapter 2. That's all right. Poor Matt's in, in great distress after yesterday. Anyone who's been following him on Facebook be quite aware of uh, his, his despair at this moment in time. Well, actually, did one of you guys want to... Anthony, would you like to pray and give thanks for the offering? That would be really appreciated. I don't know if that's... I'd invite you to speak into this, but it would be a little Lots bit odd. Closer, huh? yeah. no, you... it, would, it would appear quite strange. Yes. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all that you have given us. And uh, it's just a small thing that we give back to you, but uh, we want it to be indicative of our whole lives as a sacrifice back to you in gratefulness. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, uh, yesterday... Each of us was to asked to uh, make a choice about who we thought was best suited to, uh, to govern our country. And as we made our choices and we uh, cast our votes, I suspect, or I hope that we did so thoughtfully and uh, prayerfully, and with an eye for candidates and for parties that best reflected the values of Jesus and his kingdom. And I've, I've followed with great interest the uh, conversations, thanks babe, the conversations and uh, comments on Facebook of many of you and uh, many of my uh, Christian friends in other places. And what, has really, what really struck me was um, the diversity of views. There was actually um, kind of no kind of common consensus and it was quite apparent that despite loving Jesus and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and uh, passionately wanting what, what Jesus uh, would want, uh, people came out in, in different places in terms of their, their political views. And some were strongly liberal, some were labor, some greens, many of us here greens, uh, uh, I have to confess I have friends that were advocating for, is it Rise Up Australia? (laughs) Henry, Henry, let's vote for Henry. (laughs) I was going to do the little clip today and I thought, oh no, come I shouldn't make a mockery of my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I was sorely tempted. Yeah, and have friends that are keen on family first. And, and um, uh, let's be honest, today that, that there are some really happy Christians um, who believe uh, that God has answered their prayer and that, um, that in Tony Abbott, we, uh, the kingdom of God can come and the will of God can be done for our country. And yet there are other Christians who are today are really grieving and, uh, and, and feeling like, where is... God has God, God abandoned us, which obviously he hasn't. But I guess what I'm trying to say is um, getting Christians 
on the same page, to be of one heart and of one mind is, is always going to be a challenge. Whether it's politics, sport, I'm going for Carlton today. And uh, thank you for that. Who, who? Oh, yes, Jenny. Great. Actually, our, our co-creator's lunch today will actually be quite relatively short meeting. <laughs> For those of you who are concerned that it's somehow going to be extended out, no, that's not going to happen um, because I've got a ticket to go to the game today with David and Andrew and a few others. So, um, But after our co-creators, uh, uh, after our service today at our co-creators lunch, um, we're going to be discussing things that are of importance to us as a community. Uh, we're going to be talking about who we are, um, what it is that we're currently doing, and projecting forward and, and thinking through uh, what our future may look like. And uh, whilst there will be uh, no voting, unless we take up a vote and decide to vote, um, we are inviting those who view themselves as being uh, part of uh, this church to share their perspective so that together we can help uh, shape and co-create um, this thing, this place, this community called Fitzroy North Community Church into what God has it to be. And, and yet, despite the fact that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and that we uh, love Jesus and are really passionate about um, wanting what he wants, just like yesterday, I, I expect that we're going to see some things quite differently. And where some people think our priority should lie, others will go, hold on a minute, we don't want to kind of um, make that such a, a big issue. And you know, you know what I'm trying to say. And so what I thought would be really helpful for us to do as we gather around God's Word today is to discuss, 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 excuse me, it's lovely to have Christine back this morning, congratulations Christine, she's babyless this morning, Dad's looking after a little, uh, I absolutely love the name Fitzroy Dale, it's uh, just delightful, so you're looking so good, and is this Mum? This is mum. Welcome. It's great to have you in Australia. Fantastic. Let's give Christine a big round of applause. And uh, we'll, we'll get to show off Fitz sometime soon. Great. So I thought it would be helpful this morning if we could uh, discuss decision-making. That's what I was trying to say. Decision-making and, and, and governance and the people of God. What, what does it look like for God's people um, to make decisions and make choices? And um, is it actually really possible for the church to be of one heart and of one mind, for there to be a sense of, of consensus as, as a community? And what is the relationship between uh, church leaders and, and congregants? And, and how is the church to be led? And um, so we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit. We'll finish... Uh, our service a little bit earlier, so I won't go for too long. But they're the kinds of things that we're going to just have a look at this morning. If you've got any questions, you can uh, lift your hand and, and we'll get a mic to you and we can, we can engage a little around this subject this morning. But I want us to begin this morning with the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. You won't need to turn there because I'm just going to reference it uh, very, very quickly. But Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus says these words, I will build my church. It's interesting that he doesn't say, I will build my temple 
or I will build my synagogue. But Jesus says, I will build my church. And the word that Jesus um, uses in this, um, in this sentence is a, an interesting word. It's a, a Greek word, uh, ecclesia. And it's a, surprisingly, it's not a religious word. The word temple is a religious word. The word synagogue is a, re- a religious word. And we've made church into a religious word. But its actual origins, the word ecclesia, which Jesus is quoting here, and that is used um, uh, throughout the rest of the epistles in the New Testament, is actually a non-religious word. Uh, the word ecclesia is from Greek culture, and it refers to the assembly of citizens in a city who decided matters affecting their own welfare. Let me just repeat that uh, to you. It's a quote from, uh, from uh, Robert Banks. The, uh, the, the ecclesia is the assembly of citizens in a city who decided matters affecting their own welfare. And so the ecclesia, the church that Jesus said that he was going to build, was he, he stole that word from Greek culture. And it was referred to the democratic governing body of Athens. And the ecclesia was open to all, if you happen to be a male, that is, and you were over the age of 18. And what the ecclesia was, was they were responsible for um, the election of of officials for determining um, legislation um, and um, attending to all of those things which uh, impacted upon civic life, upon community life. It was the decision-making board, if you like, of the city of Athens. And it was such a privilege to be part of the ecclesia, so much so that if you were part of the ecclesia and you didn't turn up to the, the assembly meeting, the, the gathering of those who were called out to come and, and engage in discussion and decision-making, there were a group of slaves called, I, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, uh, Scythians, and these group of slaves um, had ropes that were dipped in red dye. And if they spotted someone who was a member of the ecclesia and wasn't fulfilling their civic duty, they would get these ropes that were dipped in red dye and they would flog them with it. Imagine if you don't turn up for church on a Sunday morning, you get a knock on the door and there's a wild-eyed kind of deacon or elder and he's got the rope and he kind of gives you a good flogging with a, a rope covered in red dye. And it was basically marking you and shaming you and, and you were told that um, you were unable to conduct any business until you fulfilled your civic responsibility. You had a duty. There was an honor. There was a privilege to be part of the ecclesia. And how dare you renege on, on this great privilege that you had to be involved in decision-making and, 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 and to, and to uh, engage in discussion about things associated with the affairs of the city of Athens. And folks, that's the word that Jesus uses when he describes this newly emerging community of God. And so core to um, Jesus' definition and his design and his desire for the church is that he, he envisages 
a people who would just take responsibility and would engage in discussion and, de- and debate and, and be involved in the decision, decision-making matters related to the community of which they are a part. It throws a whole new spin on what it means to be part of the church when you look at that word ecclesia in its its original meaning. And I think what Jesus had in mind when he seeks to define what he envisages um, the followers of Jesus would be like when they they gather together in in, in community, I think he was dreaming of a, a people and a place in which um, the, wis- the collective wisdom that is inherent within those people is actually harnessed so that the insight of God's people could be brought together. I think he had in mind this idea of drawing on the collective genius of the, uh, of the, the many minds that the mind of Christ could be, um, could be worked, worked through and discovered as they collaboratively searched to find and dig out the heart and mind of God. So with this kind of foundation in mind, in Acts chapter 2, Peter, the apostle, who would be familiar with Jesus' use of the word ecclesia and the the, um, context of that word, on the day of Pentecost, which is the, the birthday of the church, Peter stands up to preach his very first sermon and drawing on on the Old Testament scriptures uh, from Joel. These are his kind of some of his opening lines. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in, in those days, and they will prophesy. And what P- Peter does, I think, picking up on this, on this idea of the ecclesia, which was uh, first sown by Jesus, Peter begins to imagine that this, this, this newly um, emerging community of the people of God that has been birthed on this day, what he envisages is a place where every person has a voice. He begins to envisage a place where people, regardless of age, the young and the old, and regardless of gender, male or female, everyone can contribute. And what he is proposing as he preaches this sermon is that ministry is available for everyone. Everyone can participate in ministry. Whether you're young or you're old, male or female, there is a place, there is an opportunity for you to take the gifts and the call of God upon your life and administrate that and sow that out. And he was, um, um, it was such a departure from the tightly controlled temple system that was in place at the, t- at the time, this tightly controlled um, environment where there were a professional, a professional priesthood 
who were the ones that were uh, designated as those who had um, uh, the, 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 the qualifications for ministry. And so Peter is building on this concept of Christ, of the ecclesia, a place where everyone can come and take their place and give and serve. And as a, as a result of that sermon on the day of Pentecost and the, the casting out of this vision of an environment where there was uh, an, a, an involvement and participation of everyone, um, dynamic life is released. And at the end of that chapter in, in verse 42, um, through to verse 47, you see some of the, the, the life that begins to emanate from this group of people who understand that it's their role and their responsibility to, to make this thing called the church a healthy, functioning environment. And it says there that they, that's the, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You kind of see this explosion of life as the young and the old, the men and the women, uh, took up their roles of responsibility and began to engage in ministry. And uh, you can kind of uh, break all of that action up in verses 42 to uh, verses 47 into kind of three kind of, I guess, categories. The first one is, is this learning environment that there was this culture of, of learning where uh, people, it says they were devoted. That word they're devoted literally means to adhere or to stick like glue. It says they were devoted to, uh, actually it also means addicted. There was like this addiction to, um, to the, apostles, the apostles' teaching. And so people wanted to learn. They were eager to um, develop in their understanding and grow in their faith. Secondly, um, it, this wasn't just a learning community, but it was a loving community. They, they were devoted to fellowship, connecting with, with one another, and they were meeting in one another's homes. And there was this incredible uh, welfare culture that began to emerge that they would share their belongings and their property with one another. It was almost like they began to create uh, an, an alternative economy. It's a beautiful thought that there was no welfare system in place, but they, out of, out of what they had, they would share and they'd give. And so there was this learning community, a loving community. And the third thing is that they were... I'm showing my Baptist roots here. They were a liturgical community. <laughs> the word liturgy means worship. And so they're breaking bread. That is uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. They would uh, remember the person of Christ and what he had done. But not only reflect back on who he was, but acknowledge the reality of his presence 
in, in their midst as they, as they continued to meet. And they were prayerful and they were praising. And so in this explosion of life, we see a learning, a loving, and a liturgical community in which everyone had a role. Everyone got to participate. Everyone had the opportunity to give. Everyone had a voice. And there was some leadership going on in, in there. It says everyone, uh, one was filled with awe in verse 43. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. But it's like, almost like an aside. Yes, there is leadership and it's inherent, but it's, it's not the main thing. Leaders aren't, aren't, weren't the drivers of this, of this newly formed uh, community. And so things are going really well. There's this um, explosion of, uh, of growth occurs. We see that in verse 47. And things are going extremely well. Then a crisis emerges that actually has the, the potential to derail everything. And this is where, in Acts chapter 6, and I want us to turn there this morning so that we can have a look at how, how the church engages in, um, in decision-making, how the church uh, engages in governance. And I've got, I've got people smirking at me, and I'm not quite sure if I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing. Is everything okay? Am I... I just feel a little bit um, insecure, whether my, whether my fly is undone or... It is. <laughs> or whether it's my hand gestures. It's the hand gestures. Am I looking a little bit too much like Kevin Rudd for your liking? Is that what it is? <laughs> the hands. You would have thought he would have stopped last night at his... Uh, at his you thought, would have thought the hand gestures, would he could have relaxed and just got rid of those. But no, the hand gestures stayed there right till the very end. Anyway, Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through to 7. This is a really wonderful uh, insight, I think, into how the church, when it's at its best, can engage in participatory decision-making and how, how leadership... Um, uh, can and should perhaps operate in a healthy community environment. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily dis distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of, of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And there's also a group of other men whose names I would probably struggle to pronounce. So I will jump to verse 6. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What occurred here in this, um, 
in this really challenging situation is um, there was a dispute between uh, uh, Jewish and, and uh, uh, Greek believers over the un- unfair distribution of aid, of welfare. And so there was some ethnic tensions began to uh, arise. And in this um, emotionally charged atmos- atmosphere of accusation of, of favoritism, it's really fascinating to see the intervention that, uh, that occurs in this, um, in this story. The first thing I want to share with you is uh, when it comes to leadership in verse, uh, verse 2. It says, the 12th, the 12th. Um, leadership within a church con- context should always be team-based. It should never be the one. It should always be multiple. It's a, safe, it's a safeguard for the, for the community. There must be multiple leaders. And it says that, um, that the 12 gathered all the disciples together. And so these leaders who were operating in team gather the entire church community uh, together as one. In other words, those who are, who are impacted, those who are stakeholders, are actually included in the conversation. It's really interesting how often, whether it's in, in church life or in, um, in our workplaces, that those who are most impacted by the decisions that are being made, being made are often um, not included in the consultation process. But here the apostles, those who are, uh, I guess, designated leaders within the church in Jerusalem at this time, they incorporate the stakeholders. Those who are impacted by this dispute are welcomed in and are given a place in the conversation. And I just love the honesty of the apostles here. You know, they... they, um, they gather the, 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 the disciples together and say, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. In other words, there are some practical things that need to be, to be done around this place, but actually we're not the ones best qualified or equipped to do that. Our time is actually better off spent um, engaging in, in, in the, in the, with God in the place of prayer and in instructing and, in t- and teaching the people of God. That's what God has gifted us and called us to do, and that has to remain our priority. And I just love that about this particular leadership team. There was a reg- recognition that there were certain things that they were good at and there were some things that they weren't good at. And then, um, as this begins to unfold, they, leaders, um, being leaders, offer a strategy or recommend a strategy to the people for dealing with the problem. And they say, look, how about you go away and choose seven men? I think this will, this will work but what they do is they delegate that responsibility to the stakeholders, to the people. 
They come up with a strategy, but they then leave it to the stakeholders, to the, the Jewish and the Greek believers to flesh out who those seven people should be. And so there is a delegation of responsibility. And it says in verse 5 that that sounded really good. That's a great idea. And so the disciples go off and they select seven men. And after they've gone through the process of working out who those seven people should be, they come back to the leadership and go, Peter and James and John and the rest of you guys, this is who we believe is best equipped and qualified to do the work. And the leaders, the the apostles respond with, that's fantastic, thumbs up, great decision, guys. And what they do is they endorse and they ratify the choice of the people. And they go through that process, and again in verse 6, there is again this another explosion of growth. But what you see in this, in this story is that the role of the leaders is, or a leadership team, that they are spiritually focused. They're consultative. They, they are committed to equipping the people. They're, they're committed to delegating. Uh, they're facilitators rather than, than di- being overly directive. They, in, they, in, they endorse and they release and they empower. And that, folks, is what a healthy church community looks like when it comes to decision-making and governance. There's a book um, called Community 101 by a man called um, Balzikian. And he describes two governance models in the early church. The first is a normative model, which is what we see uh, resonant here or being act, acted out in Acts chapter, chapter 6. And in Acts chapter 6, it's an environment where everybody is participating in church life, um, where leadership is actually at a minimum, where space is, is given uh, for the ministry and the gifts of, of the people. And I'll just read out a quote here from, from, um, from that book, one, Community 101. He says, This normative model at one end of the continuum called for structures of ministry that were open, participatory, and based on spiritual gifts. The, leaders, uh, the, sorry, the function of leaders was to equip and support congregation-based ministry. And it appears from reading the New Testament that many of the churches in the New Testament followed this normative pattern. But the other model that existed in, in, um, in the early church was what, what Belzikian calls a, a, a remedial model. In the normative model, it's a mature church or a maturing church. In a remedial model, that, that, that model is characterized by Immaturity, And this is what Belzikian says about the uh, remedial model. It says, um, in the remedial model, the role of leaders is to control an unruly congregation and to direct the affairs of the church in order to bring them back to order. It's characterized by immaturity. The participation of the congregation is limited. There is no power sharing, and a leader of leaders are the sole governing authority. 
This contingent model is in the scriptures, and it may not be dismissed as an ancient cultural phenomenon that has no relevance today. In situations where disorder reigns, a dominant leadership style may be a necessity and warranted. However, it appears that this form of government was the exception in the New Testament rather than the rule. And so what Belzikian is saying there, there, is, there, are, there are two ways in which a church can operate according to New Testament principles. A normative model is a church environment where people are participating, where they see it as their responsibility and their role. They're embracing the concept of ecclesia as was, was um, uh, suggested and proposed by, by Christ himself. And they take that seriously and they begin to engage in this decision-making process and begin to govern the, 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 and, and direct the life of the church in their togetherness. But when a church is in a place of immaturity, when people are, um, for whatever reason, are dysfunctional and, and not rising up into the fullness of this, uh, this concept of ecclesia, then it requires a heavy hand from those who are in positions of leadership to bring order and to, um, and to put things in their proper place. And I'm just really excited that today, as a church community, we feel that we're at a place where we can begin to embrace this normative New Testament ideal. That what is actually emerging here at Fitzroy North, I think, is the potential for ecclesia the potential for the church to bear the marks of democracy that are inherent within that concept of ecclesia. The church as Jesus dreamed it could be. The church as Jesus designed it to be. And I'm just really excited that although politically we might have differences... Some of us are green, some of us are red, some of us are blue, some of us are rainbow. And uh, But I'm excited about God's dream for his church, for his people. And that as we engage um, in our discussion as a, as a community, that we could together actually live out and flesh out this concept of co-creation. Anybody got any, any questions or comments to make? Observations? Thanks, Annette. Thanks, Steve. Um, just from a practical perspective, I'm just wondering what you think... Um, unity means in terms of consensus like um i'm just i haven't quite formulated it in my head but i know that we're all going to have differences in opinions in particular things um do you think it is really possible that we agree on 
everyone agrees on things and what does that actually mean in a practical sense, allowing for differences in opinion? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yes, it does. Yeah, I don't believe that unity is uniformity. Um, I think that actually uh, unity allows for um, difference. And I think that um, a healthy uh, environment, whether it's a family or a church setting, should af- actually give, give, give place and give voice um, to that, that diversity. And um, um, that, it, that, it's, um, that it's not disunity to have diversity of opinions and perspectives. What is unhealthy, though, is when there are expressions of those differences in ways in which um, there is no respect or little respect is shown. And that we so tightly hold on to our view from a place of, of, of pride and arrogance um, that we are unwilling to learn and consider that uh, what somebody else has to say or share may actually have value in it. And so it's actually in the engagement. And I think what we did in, that, in our sexual ethics series um, was, I think for me, one of the most powerful... Um, it was one of the most beautiful experiences that I've been involved in in church life. Um, knowing that um, in terms of uh, views and perspectives on, on sexuality that uh, people hold to, that nobody ever felt pressured that they had to um, um, walk away from their particular view or perspective, um, but they could hold on to what their view was and, and maintain it was a, a biblical perspective and never felt a second-class citizen or felt um, um, ostracized because of those views. It was one of the most beautiful things that I've personally been involved in in church life. And so that, I guess, to me, does that sort of answer your, your question? So, um, yeah, unit, unity is, is definitely not uniformity, but it's the expression of, of difference with a spirit and attitude of respect, of humility, and of, and of openness. And that takes incredible maturity. To do, to, to do that. And, for so, and it's certainly not very easy. It's not easy in a marriage or a family context. And it becomes even more complex and challenging within a, within a church context as well. But what I sense from Scripture is the potential for that and the ideal that is of one heart and one mind. Um, I think that's, a, that's, that's something that we ought to be striving for. Katrina? This might be too big a question, but um, how do you think we as a church can give voice to people that um, might be seen as voiceless in our group, that that might be somebody who speaks Auslan or another language to us, or um, uh, young children who don't maybe, you know, have the voice to have a say, um, and even those people who are sick and not able to sort of join us on a Sunday, how, how do we give those people just as much voice as us who, you know, speak English and are adults? And That's a great, yeah. great question, and one that we actually have discussed, and, and I've, actually, I've actually discussed with, with Ben, um, Ben Wimpy, who's a um, filmmaker, and one of our proposals has been for, for those people in our community, for example, 
um, who wouldn't have the courage perhaps to even to ask the question that you've just asked Katrina because uh, public speaking is so incredibly intimidating for them or they're, um, they're disabled or, or there may be a language barrier or whatever it is. And what we've chatted about is um, making... Um, do you want to explain? Sure. Great. You can do a better job than I can. Nothing like being put on the spot. Um, yeah, I think um, for me personally, I'm a filmmaker, so um, I'm really passionate about um, story, and uh, and I think um, uh, visual media has a real powerful kind of way to kind of unite and, and people can kind of speak into that. So so something that Steve and I have discussed is is sharing people's stories or giving people a chance to speak in a kind of in a I guess a dramatic visual sense. Um, now, I don't know really what I want to go with this. Um, so, yeah, so I guess I'm looking for some opportunities to create sort of little uh, vignettes um, of, of people's stories within the community so that they can share what it is that they like about this community. So they've got a chance to sort of speak about uh, their voice and their part uh, and then others can kind of align with that or it, it's, a, it's a platform for people to also broadcast in a sense so you can take someone's story and share it with someone else um, and sometimes in in today's technology with Facebook and Vimeo and YouTube and, and whatnot um, that enables us beyond I guess a Sunday gathering to kind of um, share uh, but I guess not in a not in a uh, I'm not really interested in preaching uh, which I, I think is probably uh, I, I feel aligned within this community with that kind of statement that that um, story enables us or sort of someone's testimony is, is actually really powerful to share uh, a perspective or a point of view. Um, and so I don't see these videos as any way to um, tell someone how to think, uh, but more share about someone's someone's thoughts and someone's journey and someone's testimony, I guess, in, their, in, in our, our journey. Does that... Does that help? Ben, that's great. Um, I don't know if that... It can... Those kinds of things can appear tokenistic, um, but we're really sincerely... And, um, for example, Mark, who's asleep at the moment, uh, <laughs> which I think is just lovely, I would, I would love us to um, interview Mark and to ask questions of Mark and about his understanding of faith and for us um, to have that accessible, that we can engage with Mark or with Sophie who's a hearing impaired person who's part of our community um, that that we can hear their, that they are actually given a voice in our, in our midst yeah and, and then there are, other, there are other ways too, I mean what we're doing this afternoon with the co-creators lunch is another um, Opportunity for that, but also relationally, relationally as well, where that's happening. Thanks, Leanne. We'll make this the last question, and then we'll uh, we'll close, have a break, and we're going to eat lunch. For those of us who are booked in, we're going to have lunch at, at um, twelve. Mine's probably more of a comment, but it's I guess it relates to this idea of story and giving people a voice. But um, and it'll probably be coming up at the co-creators lunch this afternoon. But just considering how we give people a voice, or we develop that relational. Um, relationship with people who might be on the fringes of society, um, who might enter our church, 
with addiction or substance abuse or mental health issues and how we actually can include them. Um, and, I'm, yeah, that's yep. just more of a comment with that. Yeah, and that is part of our conversation um, today. So. No? So is there one more question? Yeah. We'll, we'll close it up now after this one. Um, this might be at the other end of the continuum to what we're speaking of, but having come from a situation where we've been really hurt by church leadership, um, with respect, Steve, who can say no to you and make it stick? So if the, if the wheels fall off and, and we're heading somewhere that we aren't happy about, or like in terms of if there's a church council or within the Fitzroy, uh, within the um, Churches of Christ in, in Victoria and Tasmania, what are the governance structures to which you're held accountable as our sort of first among equals? Okay, great question. Uh, we have a, a, a leadership team um, and um, that team... Um, I get, I think we have we have one team which uh, is very much around our, the development of our Sunday, um, uh, what we're teaching, um, the the conversations that happen here on a Sunday, uh, which is uh, Rod and Sally, Shane, Louise, and myself, um, and that's very much seeking to hear from God and thinking through what the community needs at that level. There is a degree of pastoral conversation that happens around that. Um, so, for example, the next series that we will uh, commence uh, in a little while, which is on the kingdom of God, um, that was something that we discussed as a team. It wasn't, actually wasn't even my proposal that we touch on that subject. Um, um, it was somebody else's suggestion and we worked it through as a leadership and felt now that would be a really helpful stepping stone for us into our future. Um, then we have the financial side of things, which would be, um, which is Bill, Louise and Jenny. No, she's, not, she's, she's not? She's independent. Independent. Okay. Sorry. There we go. <laughs> Your independent spirit. I could sense that about you, Jenny. <laughs> Uh, Bill, Bill and Louise um, would uh, cons uh, consult there in terms of, of our finances um, so that other group of people actually really don't engage with the financial side of, of the church. And I would certainly include Bill and Helen and Louise and myself and Shane around the, some of the pastoral sort of conversations that we would have. And certainly I really respect Bill and Helen's um, um, spiritual insight um, there. So there's a, I guess there are, if you like, submission and respect uh, dynamics happening at that level. Uh, from a denominational level, we have a very good relationship with uh, Churches of Christ. Um, and so if at any point there was a sense in which we were doctrinally or morally um, veering away from orthodoxy, then I would certainly encourage you as a representative of this church to contact, well, first come and speak to church leadership. And if you didn't find any resolve in that conversation, I would certainly encourage you to then go and, and voice your concerns at that. Um, uh, what's the word for it? I don't like the word bu bureaucratic, but that, uh, it's, it's certainly not a hierarchy. Uh, there is a sense of partnership there together, but go and talk with uh, Paul Cameron or Martin Boutros um, there, and 
we'll hopefully um, flesh it out. So, but that again, a very good question. Yeah. Um, if we had time, I'd unpack Acts chapter 15, which is a fantastic, again, another great model of dynamic church life. And in Acts chapter 15, it's really hard to figure out who, you know, uh, what's going on in the church in Jerusalem uh, because you have the apostles, you have the elders, and you have the congregation. And in one, uh, at the beginning of Acts chapter 15, Peter seems to be the leader, the, the, the spokesperson for the church in Jerusalem. And then towards the end of the story, it's uh, James who stands up and seems to be very clearly the leader. I love Acts 15, the Acts 15 model and the Acts 6 model, in which there is this, there is a fluidity and a flexibility, I think, that's modeled in the New Testament that we don't often see or experience in contemporary church life because we've embraced too much of the hierarchical model and way of thinking from the corporate world. And I would love, I would love to be in a church, I would love to see this church be in a place where um, it, for a season it seems like I'm, I'm, I'm the leader and then another season it seems like another person might be the leader just given the nature of people's lives and where the community is at at the time, I would, lo- I would love to be in, a, in an environment that is as flexible and as fluid as that and where you have elders and apostles and not by title but by gifting and the community together um, consulting and working through um, what is the mind and will of God. In Acts chapter 15, there's a beautiful statement. It says, and it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. That's the sweet spot that I think we should be uh, aiming for as a community. And maybe as we can, we can touch on that this afternoon after lunch or during lunch today. Okay, let's uh, have the benediction and uh, close our service. Let's, let's stand. Loving Father, we thank you for receiving our worship, hearing our prayers, feeding us with your word, and encouraging us in our fellowship. As we leave this place, take us and use us to love and serve you and all people in the power of your spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you.